Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Carrying the fire of the Holy Spirit. Carrying the fire of the Holy Spirit and how... You can break free from lukewarmness right here and right now, from today. You can actually detach yourself from, the, from a lukewarm spirit that is a perilous spirit. It's a dangerous thing to be, especially in this day and this age in which we live. It's a dangerous thing to have a lukewarm spirit because Matthew 25, I'm reminded of the, the parable Jesus gave when there were 10 virgins. Five of them had oil in their lamps that allowed them to keep on burning and shining, but five of them carried no extra oil with them in their lamps. And as a result, their fire went out. And when the bridegroom came and the cry was heard, prepare to meet the bridegroom, those five that had no oil in their lamps, they were out trying to get oil last minute last second but they they ended up missing out and that's what Jesus was saying in the last days there's going to be like a 50 50 divide in the church there's going to be people that are carriers of the fire that make sure that their lamps are burning that their their waists are girded and that they're moving on forward and then there's going to be a people unfortunately the temptation in the last days is going to be People are going to carry or be tempted to carry a lukewarm spirit, an indifferent spirit, an apathetic spirit, one that's not really engaged in spiritual things, not really engaged in kingdom building things. And as a result, they're going to miss out, not only potentially miss out on heaven, but miss out on what God desires to do through them here on the earth. I want to read from Luke chapter 13. This is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 13. And let's begin with verse verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered. So people were coming to John the Baptist and saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Because we are in anticipation. We know that the Christ is to be born in in this period And we're in great expectation. Are you him or not? John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming. Whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. Gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John replies. He didn't give him some like cheap uh, reply. We're like, no, I'm not the Messiah. And ultimately, we don't know what the Messiah is going to come and do. We have no revelation of his purpose. John replies with very clear thi- in a very clear, succinct manner. He says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. But the Messiah, he is coming. And he's mightier than I. And though I have a mission to baptize in water unto repentance, he carries a special mission to be to baptize people not in water, but in the Holy Ghost and in liquid fire. John said, I baptize in water. 
I'm John the Baptist to this day, all around the world. We have in Quebec a holiday people celebrate called uh, John the Baptist Day, Saint Jean Baptist, where they celebrate they celebrate John the Baptist, but it's been twisted and warped and stuff, and it's become like a pagan thing. People just drink until they're passed out. But nonetheless, the day carries the name John the Baptist Day in honor of John the Baptist. There's many churches that are called John the Baptist. There are many, uh, they, they have John the Baptist, the saint. They have many places on earth that are literally towns called John the Baptist or cities and streets called John the Baptist. John was indeed a Baptist. But the Bible says there was another Baptist that was going to come. Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Ghost and in fire. And that word fire is like liquid fire. Just like John dipped people. And it's funny that he uses the word baptizer and he will baptize in fire because John was familiar with what baptism was. Baptism wasn't a sprinkling of water on the forehead. People think when they get baptized in the Holy Ghost that God like dipped you like your, your right hand in, in fire. or He dipped a little part of you in his Holy Spirit. John understood full well what he meant by baptism. That word baptizo in the Greek is the, a word that they used in, in baptizing clothing into dye when they wanted to dye a clothing into a particular color they would take the garment and they would baptize it by fully immersing it into this dye until the clothing the garment had caught on to the very nature of the dye until the clothing smelt like the dye until the clothing looked like the dye until the clothing and the dye had merged into one john the baptist said i I immerse you into water until you're covered in water and you look and you look like you're wet. But Jesus is going to come and baptize you. He's going to take you. Now forget garments and forget dye. We're relating this to what John the Baptist said God Jesus would do to us with the Holy Ghost and fire. He said he would take us and immerse us into the Holy Spirit and into fire where we take on the very nature of the Holy Ghost and fire. We start to smell like the fire. We start to look like the fire when our nature and God's nature now becomes one by reason of this mighty baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire. John said, I do it with water. He's going to do it with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so, I mean, there's nothing about Christianity, there's nothing about the Bible that bears a natural imprint to it. Everything about the Bible is supernatural. Everything about the gospel is supernatural. Everything about Jesus was supernatural and everything about the apostles was supernatural. The, the Bible, Christianity, is a supernatural thing. And so if you extract the supernatural from it, you're left with just some like ethical society. We're left with some religious organization that has no supernatural attraction to it but Jesus said you remember when he was about to leave and telling his disciples I'm about to go up they got sorrowful they got scared because they had journeyed with Jesus all these years and they finally started to get traction and take traction and people were starting to come to them from all 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 places and all parts of life even centurions and respected people were coming to hear Jesus and the apostles preach and lay hands on the sick and so he starts to say, I'm about to go up. The apostles get sad and they said, why are you leaving now? Jesus replies and says, why has sorrow filled your heart? It is actually to your advantage that I go away. 
Because if I stay here, the only reason you've been having miracles is by reason uh, of an environmental anointing. You've been around me. You've been next to me. You've been connected to me. But Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is not only going to dwell with you, he's going to dwell in you. He's going to abide in you. And the scripture says that it is to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, then I can't send the helper. But when I send the helper, the very fire that's been in me, that has driven me to do everything that I've done, that has put a zeal in my heart that when he saw the the temple given over to, to money changers and sellers of doves and people that were screwing the people over financially and using religion to get it done, Jesus braided a whip of cords and he went in and drove them out. And then they said, this was done. And they remembered what was spoken in the Psalms that zeal for the house of God would consume me. Jesus' zeal consumed him. I mean, Christian... Christianity is not to be a part of your life. Jesus is not just part of my life. Jesus isn't something I do on Sunday. Jesus isn't something I speak about or someone I speak about when I do these broadcasts. But the rest of the week, I'm pretty much not, he's not in my thoughts. He doesn't consume any time. Everything I do in life centers and revolves around Christ. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. For if you've been raised up with Christ, no longer set your mind on earthly things, but set your mind on heavenly things. And then he says, and when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we'll receive a reward from his hand. Christ, Paul didn't say Christ was a part of his life. Paul didn't say Christ was, you know, a hobby. Christ was his life. Paul even said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, nothing in this life moves me. But everything that I do centers around accomplishing the God-given assignment that I have. And let me tell you very clearly that a God-given assignment requires God-given power and fire to get it done. You cannot accomplish a supernatural assignment in natural strength. You cannot fulfill a supernatural project and plan and purpose going in your own strength, going in your own might. That's why Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by your power. It's not by your strength. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. Paul said in Ephesians 6.10, uh, 6, which they say is the New Testament, Zechariah 4.6, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we're not to go out in our own strength. We're not to try things. You know, Jesus didn't, he actually told them in Luke chapter 24, now I'm sending you out. However, you are to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. You're to tarry. Jesus was pretty much saying it this way, that you shouldn't even try. You shouldn't even try to win a soul until you're clothed with power. You shouldn't even try to accomplish what I've called you to do until you're clothed with power from on high. And the good news is, is God doesn't just say, I'm going to clothe you and then not will to clothe you. God is more than willing to set a fire in your spirit today that'll cause you to run and not grow weary, to walk and never faint, to lay aside every sin and every weight that so entangles you and to run the race that is set before you with perseverance. You're not going to miss out on God's marvelous plan for your life. You're not going to grow weary in well-doing. A fresh fire is coming alive in you as you hear these words on this broadcast. And you will... 
like David did. David was zealous. Zeal for the house of God had consumed him. You will carry a uncommon zeal in your heart that will allow you and empower you to perform uncommon things and uncommon works in your generation. You know, you're not put on this earth to just get by. You're not placed on this earth to just, you know, merge in or or assimilate to the cultures of this world. David, Acts 7 says, David, when he had served his generation, God put you and caused you to be born in such a time as this, to serve your generation. And the only way you can serve properly, just like a car, is not much service, it's not much good to you until it's fuel. In the same vein, you're not much good to your generation until you're fueled by fire. And I'm gonna go through today what the fire does. What the fire empowers you to do, how it purifies you, how it protects you against apathy, how it empowers you to do supernatural things. And then I'm going to show you at the end of this broadcast how you can not only get the fire today if you don't have it, but how you can keep the fire going. Leviticus 6, and I think it's verse 12 or verse 17, I'm not sure. But it says that the fire, this was an instruction Moses gave the priests in his day for the service of the temple and the fire that was on the altar in the temple. He said, you, the priests, should make sure daily that the fire never goes out for the fire must never go out the fire God puts in you should never go out but the thing is is that the responsibility in keeping that fire alive isn't in God's hands he's the spark he's the one that brings the spark he's the one that that that'll that'll give you the initial spark but we have a responsibility to maintain that fire to keep it burning and you know the good news is if you have a little fire you can grow the fire and so at the end of this broadcast stay 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 in tune because i'm going to explain to you from the scriptures from the word of god scriptural keys in maintaining that fire in fanning the flame that's in you so that it's bright and it's hot and it's intense and that you never disqualify yourself from being used by God. Because remember, you know, I had someone, uh, Reinhard Bonnke told a story once. He said there was someone that came up to him and said, Brother Bonnke, why is it that God uses you so greatly and other people he doesn't use at all? And you know what he said? And he said it was inspired of the Holy Ghost. He said his mind works in pictures and immediately I saw in a house that there were two ovens and there was a man trying to make tea he was trying to boil some tea and um one of the ovens was on and the other oven was not and he turned to the man that had asked him the question why is it that God uses you and he doesn't use others and he said he gave him that that analogy that imagery he said if you were faced with that that situation that circumstance you wanted to boil tea and there was one oven the stovetop was already hot and ready and the other one was cold and dead and not even plugged in which oven or which stove would you use to boil your tea it's the same thing with God God is looking for people second chronicle 69 a verse that you must be very familiar with now on this broadcast because I quote it often. God's eyes are looking to and fro seeking one who's loyal to him, who's connected to him, who's saying I'm not going to entangle myself with the worldly affairs. I'm not going to be set on the cares of this life. I'm not going to be connected with my own purpose and my own agenda and building me. I have, like I preached on last Thursday, I'm going to pick up my 
cross. I'm going to do I'm going to do everything God has called me to do no matter the cost. I am like uh, like Jesus said, denying myself, picking up my cross and I'm going to follow him and though none goes with me still I will follow. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to make time to pray. I'm not going to stay distant from God. I'm going to draw near to God and I know as such God will draw near to me. That's the person God can use. It's not that God doesn't want to use others over some others. It's that God, it's God, it, you know, Paul tells Timothy that we are to sanctify ourselves and cleanse ourselves from youthful lust so that we may become a vessel for honorable use. It's not that God loves one over the, over the other. It's not that God desires to use one over the other because he had special plans for that person. It's that one has availed themselves, has yielded themselves. You know, people ask me all the time, Brother TJ, how do you increase the anointing? You actually... In, 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 you actually cannot increase the anointing the way people think that the anointing increases. That like you have a little bit of the Holy Spirit and now you have a lot of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't increase in the anointing, increase in the anointing the way you can increase in, uh, in how much water is in your cup. God's not filled one more than the other. It's that certain people have learned how to submit and surrender to the anointing that they already have. The Bible says you already have an anointing from the Holy One. So it's not that God anoints others more than others. It's that some have learned to cooperate, yield, and su surrender to the will of the Spirit. They've learned to break down the flesh, the carnal and yield themselves to the treasure. The Bible says we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. How much you're willing to follow the spirit that's in you, how much you're willing to go on the path God, God would take you on, how, how much you're willing to surrender and submit to the desires of, your, of the spirit in you is how, anointing, how anointed you'll be. So it's not that God anoints one over the other more than others. It's that some have said, I... Don't consider my life as any account dear to myself. I am going to crucify the flesh. I'm not going to do what I want. I'm, wa I'm not just going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. And that's someone God can use. And so there's a, like I read in Luke 3.16, you know, everybody loves to talk about John 3.16. And it's one of my, it's my favorite verse in the Bible. Because it's the clearest way to describe the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But there's also a Luke 3.16. And Luke 3.16 is that there is a fire baptism that every Christian must go through. If they're going to prove to be used by God in this day, in this age, in our generation. You know, if you're interested in just... If you're interested in just living a lukewarm Christianity, if you're interested in just getting by, barely making heaven by the skin of your teeth, just, just doing enough so that you don't go to hell, then this broadcast isn't for you. If that's your heart, then you might as well X out now. But if you're interested in saying, Lord, I have one life to live and it will soon be passed. I want to invest my life to the best that I can, empowered by your spirit, to store up treasures in heaven. I don't want to be a lukewarm status quo Christian. I don't want to be a, an icicle Christian. I don't know about you, but there's, especially in the last 18 months, there's been a line that's been placed in the sand where we've seen a divide between some people that are just content making, with making heaven. And then there's other people that more than ever 
have put their foot to the pedal and to the max to say, we know that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. The day of Christ's return is approaching quickly. And I'm not going to be found with my hand on every other plow serving my own interest. I'm going to put my hand to the plow and plow as hard as I can so that when Christ comes, he finds us working and doing. When you, when you don't have the fire, see, I believe that God has drawn many people today. It's not that you don't have the fire. It's that the fire has, has diminished. It's that you've grown weary in well-doing. There's been a lack of spiritual zeal and fervor in you. And so you've tuned into this broadcast because you want to, you don't want to be cold. Jesus said, I would that you were hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out. That word spit is actually vomit. I'll, I'll vehemently vomit you out of my mouth. But then Jesus doesn't just, you know, everybody loves to preach that verse, but then not move on to what Jesus said afterwards. He said, but this thing I tell you, be zealous and repent. God never gives a diagnosis without providing a solution, a cure to the problem. So he didn't just say, if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And since you're lukewarm, there's nothing you can do to get the fire again. No, there is something. Remember from where you've fallen. Do the deeds you did at first. Be zealous. As many as I chasten, I love. So the very fact that you, you have a conviction for the lack of whatever you've not been doing, Bible reading, whatever it is. It's not because God's trying to break you down. God's trying to make you feel bad. It's that he's diagnosing. You know, it'd be, it'd be a pretty bad doctor if someone came in with all kinds of pains and then the doctor didn't tell them what the pain was, where the source of the pain was, why the pain was happening. It'd be a pretty terrible doctor to actually look at the x-rays and see cancer all over a body and just say you know what you're all right that's a bad doctor god's not a a, a dumb doctor he's not some he's not a bad doctor he's going to tell you what's wrong but in telling you what's wrong he's going to also provide you the instructions to right the wrong to 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 fan the flame you know paul told timothy because the, the tendency especially for young people is to let the fire go out the tendency is to let the gift just settle. So Paul tells him that you are to fan into flame the gift that is on the inside of you. Talking about the Holy Ghost. Talking about the fire of God. You know, the Old Testament says that the voice of the Lord is mighty. It kindles the coals of fire. So God wants to kindle that fire. Maybe it's gone out. Maybe it's diminished. Maybe the intensity isn't quite as strong as it once was. Maybe when you got saved, you were like a lunatic for the gospel. Maybe when you got saved, you were an evangelism machine. Everywhere you went, you just told, you told people about Jesus and you were not ashamed. But somewhere down the line, I don't know what happened, but insecurity settled in. Fear of, of people settled in. Maybe it's a fear of man. I don't know what happened, but something happened where it got you off the course. And now there's some sort, some sort of shyness and fear and timidity in you. There's an insecurity in you. There's a, there's a, a lack of divine passion that's taken a hold of your spirit and you have dwindled and the flame has dwindled. Well, today, God is going to dip you in the kerosene of his spirit and set you ablaze once more that you might burn for him in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. So why does the Bible say he'll baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire? Well, I want to remind you, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. So God himself likens himself to fire. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 24 and 17, The children of Israel saw the glory of the Lord come on the mountain like fire. 
So the glory of God, God's presence is oftentimes in the Bible referred to as fire. Psalm 97, the Bible says a fire goes before him and devours his enemies round about. The Bible says he is like a wall of fire that surrounds us. So God, oftentimes, there's an imagery that's placed on him that he is like fire. That's not to say he is fire, but he is like fire. He is a consuming fire. He, he, he has the qualities and the characteristics of fire. Psalm 104, the Bible goes on to say he makes his angels spirits and then his ministers a flame of fire. So not only is God fire, but his ministers, he makes a flame of fire. I love, I was studying this before. And the way the psalmist wrote, he makes his ministers a flame of fire. I, forget, I think the, the Hebrew word is lavath, something like that. But the word means... Uh, the word, it's the same word used when the cherub was placed in the Garden of Eden to guard it with a flaming sword of fire so that Adam and Eve would never be able to come back in. It's also used in um, the Armageddon, the Battle of Armageddon, when God is going to pour out his fire, his indignation like fire upon all the people, upon all the deeds of the wicked, and he's going to swallow them up. They're going to be destroyed. It's going to be an unstoppable thing. Then it's also used when Elijah made the sacrifice or made the altar and put the sacrifice on the altar in 1 Kings 18 on Mount Carmel, and then poured out water on the sacrifice until... There was an overflow and it began to flood, flood the sacrifice. And then the fire of God licked up, licked up the water that was on the altar and even destroyed all the stones. There was nothing left. The same word used there for when the fire of God came and licked up all the water that was on the sacrifice is the same word used in Psalm 104.4 that says he makes his ministers a flame of fire. What does that mean? Well, fire is unstoppable. When that fire came from heaven and licked up, even water couldn't put it out. When the fire was put on the flaming sword of the cherub in the Garden of Eden, nothing can put that fire out. When the fire is released on the day of Armageddon to consume and burn out, burn up the deeds of the wicked and the wicked themselves, nothing will be able to put out that fire. So when it says he makes his ministers a flame of fire, he's referring to or relating them to an unstoppable force. That God's ministers, once they have an encounter with this fire, I have to remind you today, you'll never do much with God and for God on the earth until you have an encounter with this fire. Moses was nothing until he saw the flaming, the burning bush that, con that did not consume the bush. He was nothing. He was just an insecure has been, that was in the wilderness now, just trying to live off the rest of his days. Once he had an encounter with that fire, he couldn't put the rest, the thing, the mission, the assignment, and the zeal that came on him to then restore Israel back to freedom. That fire changed Moses. It changed him from the end. It goes back to what I was saying before. The garments were baptized into the dye until the nature of the dye came on the garments. When you get baptized into fire, you get immersed into God until the nature of God comes on you and is in you. That's why the Bible says we are partakers of His divine nature. Not only His divine nature in power, but His divine nature in zeal, in fervor. Jesus was zealous. 
They said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day, for night cometh when no man can work. There was a zeal in Jesus. The Bible says, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. There is a specific, there is a burden and a sense of duty and responsibility that comes on you when you have an encounter with the fire of God. Paul in Acts 9 had an encounter with Jesus. The fire of God gripped him and and captivated him and, and arrested him. And he couldn't put that to rest to the end of his life he was beheaded because he refused to put it to rest he didn't stop he was like a holy ghost terminator even when they stoned him and left for dead he got back up and went to the next town he was he was unable to quit nobody can persuade him to lay to, to throw the towel in nobody can persuade him to lay his mission down he went he had a mission he had set his face for the journey and he wasn't going back the fire of god is what does that there's, there, you can't do it in your own willpower and strength. You can't just try and summon up enough strength and inner. You know, there's all this talk about inner strength. You know, if you just get that inner strength, inner strength. God has placed a, a certain amount of inner strength, but that inner strength ain't gonna cut it. You can't have inner strength to do a supernatural task, an assignment. You can't have, and, and part of the supernatural task isn't just winning the loss. We're talking about just living holy in an unholy world. You can tell heroin addicts all you want, have the inner strength, believe in the inner strength. They're addicted. They, they can't break free from it. Because um, sin, sin is like a, a rope, the Bible says, it's like a rope that catches and keeps a man arrested and you're not free to do what you want to do. Paul said in Romans 6, whoever performs sin is a slave to sin and he can't do what he wants to do. His, his, his sinful nature has overtaken him and he's caught and kept by the will and passions of sin. But the Bible says when Samson had been caught by fresh ropes they had handed him over to the philistines he still had his anointing at that time but he willfully handed himself over surrendered they put him in two brand new ropes and he was on that wooden beam the bible says that the spirit of the lord came on him and the ropes burnt like fire that's what the fire does what can't be taught you know you can't counsel someone out of pornography addiction you can't counsel someone out of alcohol addiction you can try all you want eventually they go back in they might have a a a, a time where they have temporarily re- relief and stuff but it doesn't last long but what man can't do in the weakness of their own flesh and their own mind the fire of the holy ghost is more than enough to burn off every addiction that has kept and entangled you i prophesy in the name of jesus by this broadcast every long-standing addiction everything that's kept you and you've been unable to break free from it you've gone to 10-step programs you've gone to counselors you've gone to teen challenge you've gone to places and it hasn't worked by the fire of the holy ghost as samson's ropes were burnt like flax those ropes are being burnt off your life today never to return again in the mighty name of jesus christ our god is a consuming fire you can't say that you were in a house full of fire and come out and not smell like smoke you can't say you were in the presence of god and you were in the presence of the all-consuming fire of god and not carry a, a distinct scent not carry something where you look different moses was on the mountain for 40 days he came back his face was shining in glory when you spend time in the fire you smell like the fire you look like you've been in fire and you, you everything changes everything changes everything changes 
I mean, I don't, I believe in the spirit. I believe in miracles. I live in the spirit and we should also live by the fire of God a miraculous life. I don't just believe, I don't just hold to a certain creed. I believe in this stuff. It shouldn't just be all head knowledge. It shouldn't just be all, you know, uh, theory or theological tradition. We've got to move past theory. We have to move past theology and come into experience. I'm not saying that experience is above the word of God. It's not. But the word of God does bring an experience, a distinct experience. Look at Acts chapter 2. They're praying. And the day of Pentecost comes. Wind enters into the place and there were upon them tongues of fire upon them all. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they didn't just wait on God. There was an encounter and the encounter produced tongues of fire on their head. There you go again. There's the fire. When God, when the Holy Ghost came, the inauguration of the church age happened on Acts chapter 2. And it was marked by fire. Through the ages, there's always been pockets of fire. And I tell you, the Bible says that the last days, there will be a, a, a conglomeration of the first and the former rain and the latter rain. There's going to be a merging of the first, what we saw in the book of Acts, tongues of fire, and, and beyond that. Because the Bible says very clearly that we're not, only, we're not going out. The church is not going out quietly. The church is not going out without making noise. We are going out with a bang. The church started in a bang. The church started in fire. The church has always carried fire. And the church is going out in blazing trails of fire. And you're going to be a part of it in the name of Jesus Christ. So are you, but how are you going to be a part of it? You have to make a decision today. I'm either going to be flammable or I'm going to be fireproof. There's too many, like Reinhard Bonnke used to say, there's too many asbestos Christians. There's too many fireproof Christians. They put asbestos in houses because, oh, back in the day, not anymore, but they did it because it was fireproof. Are you fireproof? Are, are there things in your life that make you resistant to the fire of the Holy Spirit? Or are you flammable? Are you someone that God can just drop one match and it's over? Or are you somebody that no matter how much, no matter how great, there's some people that can be in an anointed service. I've seen it where you have literally people getting healed, people being delivered, people getting saved, demons coming out of people. And there are people literally just standing by like this. And I, you can read their thoughts. Yeah, they're, they're just extravagant. They're just fanatic. That's all they are. Those people are as best as Christians. They're fireproof. They feel like they have the mission in their heart to be critical. They call it the gift of discernment. I have the gift of discernment. There ain't no gift of discernment. There's the discerning of spirits, but there ain't a gift of discernment. And the gift of discerning of spirits isn't your ability to be critical, critical and complain about everything that you've never experienced yourself. But because you haven't experienced it yourself, you, you can't stand the sight of other people being blessed. It's like the, the son and the two sons in the prodigal son story. The one that had stayed with his father. The prodigal son returned, has a feast made for him, and the son comes out and says, I've never left you. I never spent your money on prostitutes like this guy did. 
I've always been by your side. I've always helped you. I've always been faithful to you. And you've never even killed a calf for me. You never made a, a, a feast for me and my friends to make merry. And what did the father say? Son, everything I have has always been yours. But because you're such a miserable human being, you can't, because you're not celebrating others, you'll never have something to celebrate yourself. Those, most of the time, that's why people are fireproof. They can't celebrate other people's victories. They can't celebrate other people's baptism in the Holy Spirit. I've been praying for the baptism in the Holy Spirit for 14 years. That person just came in and they, they got it in two seconds. Well, maybe there's something that's in you that needs to be booted out before you can have a, a connectivity with heaven to receive that mighty baptism. And maybe part of, part of that is that jealousy you have for everybody else or that bitterness, that root of bitterness that's been springing up. So instead of bashing and complaining, why don't we start celebrating other people's victories and what God is doing for them? And you'll find out very quickly what you do for others and what you celebrate in others, God is going to do for you. God will do for you. The Bible says, whatever a man does for another, that same shall he receive from the Lord. I don't want to be a fireman Christian going around putting out fires everywhere. That's how some ministers are. Some ministers literally think they have a ministry of putting out fires. You have books written, strange fire, because one guy had a bad experience somewhere, or he's only hung around knucklehead, overdone People that have, have gone way too far, they've gotten over into the, ex, into the extreme. And as a result, they've, they've manipulated and perverted the sweet, authentic move of God. And as such, they've exposed themselves to that. Now they write, because they saw a few strange things, they've discounted and discredited even the authentic. But I want to tell you, everything that I'm about to get in today has its roots here in the Bible. Nothing I'm telling you is something that's come to me by a divine revelation. The fire of God is not some 1960s concept that came as a result of the charismatic movement. It's not some fresh flame that came in 1906 at Azusa Street. The fire has all, from the Old Testament, you can see God being a fire, a pillar of fire to lead his people in Exodus. It's not some new concept. It's not even a New Testament thing. It's all throughout the scriptures. And so don't be a fireman Christian that loves putting out other people's fire. You know, there's a lot of people, they started out in the fire, but then they got lukewarm. And now the moment somebody gets saved and gets on fire for God, they like take it upon themselves to have a mission to put that fire out. Oh, I remember when I was on fire for God. I remember when I used to win souls. Well, what happened? What happened? It's not normal for you to ever stop winning souls. It's not normal. I, I think people have to have a, a new concept of what is normal in Christianity. It's not normal to go days without a, 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 an encounter with the Holy Ghost in prayer. It's not normal to go months and months without sharing Jesus. It's not normal to go days without prayer. It's not normal to not have a, a fire in your belly that drives you to fast and to pray. That is not normal. 
I don't care what they've said is normal in Christianity today. I don't care what's normal for Western culture. I don't care what's normal for North, North American culture. I want to go and fit into the Bible norm. I don't want my own version of normal, normal, normalcy. I want Bible norms. I want to adapt and, con- and, and conform to what the scripture says is normal. It's not normal for you to go days and days and months and months without laying hands on sick people and seeing them recover. It's not normal to not have a testimony year after year of what God's done in your life. It's not normal. People that don't have the fire but once had it, they give out stupid excuses as to why they don't have it. Oh, I have something a little more mature. I have something a little more, it's more deep than that. It's more deep. No, it's, you're just deep into miry clay. That's all it is. It's not normal to live without miracles. It's not normal. Get it out of your head. Said it before. I believe in the Spirit. I believe in miracles. But I also walk in the Spirit and I walk in miracles. First, before I move into what does the fire of God do, I want to go through seven signs of lukewarmness. Seven signs of lukewarmness. Seven ways you can test yourself to see whether I have a lukewarm spirit, an apathetic, indifferent spirit, or I still carry a fire in my belly. Number one, sign that you're lukewarm. Well, before I do that, let me read Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and this is a scripture many people are very familiar with. Familiar with. Revelation 3 and verse 14. And the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. The reason why Jesus said that wasn't because, you know, people say, I wish you were either all in the world or all in heaven, but since you're in the middle, I'm going to... The reason why he was saying cold or hot is because in Laodicea, they actually had... A water system that would bring water to to the main city but because it was such a long pipe oftentimes the water would come lukewarm it, it wouldn't be good for anything because if you have cold water then it was good to drink but lukewarm water is where they would their bacteria would fest in it it would be prone to giving people infection and all kinds of it's almost like poisonous because bacteria it would thrive in lukewarm water so what jesus was related to the Laodiceans, which understood this concept of hot and cold or lukewarm, he was saying if the water came in cold, it was useful. If the water came in hot, 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 then it was useful to boil water and stuff. But if it was lukewarm, it provided the necessary environment for bacteria to thrive in. And since it's that I'm going to spit it out of my mouth, lest it make me sick, I'm going to vomit. It made Jesus was saying lukewarm spirits, people that are indifferent, it makes his stomach sick. And as a result, he doesn't even let it get to his stomach. He just vomits it out. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, but since you are lukewarm and not cold or hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, so this is a lot of lukewarm people, this is what they say. This is like their general attitude and mentality is I'm rich. 
I've become wealthy. And some people are not just saying I'm rich financially. Some people think they're rich spiritually, but they're not. They have a reputation, like Jesus told the church of Sardis, they have a reputation of being alive, but don't even know that they're actually dead on the inside. You're rich. You say, I have become wealthy. You say, I have need of nothing. Let me tell you, my friend, if you ever get to the point where you start to think that you don't need God, you are lukewarm. If you ever get to the point where you start to think that I can get by by myself, you've actually adopted pride into your heart. And remember, pride comes before fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. I have need of nothing. And do not know that you're actually wretched. So man looks at the outward appearance. You can fool people, but God, the eyes of the Lord, they pierce pierce through to the very core of man. Jesus diagnoses them beyond what man's eyes can see. He says, you're actually wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. But I counsel you now to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may be that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent behold I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking if anyone hears my voice and opens I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus finishes off that chapter by saying, if you overcome lukewarmness, lukewarmness, if you overcome apathy and indifference, that's when you're going to actually be able to sit in a place of dominion and in victory there's a lot of christians they experience no dominion they don't know how to cast out devils they don't have dominion over sin they have no dominion over sickness they're constantly battling something and as a and the reason for it jesus says is because you haven't first dealt with the lukewarmness in your heart once you deal with the lukewarmness then he says i'll grant you to sit with me on my throne that's when enthronement happens that's when you become more than a conqueror before you can be become more than a conqueror you have to conquer the sin of lukewarmness get on fire for god so here are seven signs that i wrote down that prove to you that you carry a lukewarm spirit it's like the litmus test doesn't matter how loud you shout amen on sunday morning it's how straight you walk and these things are signs that you're lukewarm or indifferent number one there's no prayer life no prayer life or you have a very weak prayer life. I was reading before the average pastor, not Christian, the average pastor prays. This is, I think it was, I don't know if it was the Pew Research or whatnot, but the average pastor prays seven minutes a day. Seven minutes a day. How do you expect to cast out devils if you can't even cast out laziness? You're out of your own self. Seven minutes a day. That's nothing. That's, that's, if my child at two years old, no, I'm maybe not my child at two years old, but if my child at like 10 years old was praying seven minutes a day, there'd be a problem. They, there has to be a point where you move on to, some, to, to, to greater things, where you grow in your prayer life. The Bible says we're to pray without ceasing. When there is a resistance in your heart, now there's always going to be a resistance to pray. How many of you felt that when you like, you, you thought of praying and then all of a sudden you thought of also filing your taxes for the last 18 years that you have been postponing. All of a sudden things you've postponed and you've been like procrastinating over for like millennials are all of a sudden becoming the thing you want to do. That's, that's always going to happen. You're always going to have that resistance because the flesh wages war against the spirit. However, if you're constantly 
being defeated by that fleshly desire and you're never in prayer you're never pressing into prayer you're never cultivating an, a, a lifestyle a habitual lifestyle of praying you know jesus had a lifestyle of prayer that's why he had a life of power he long a, lo a long while before daylight went to a solitary place and there he prayed paul prayed he said i pray at all times under every occasion in the power of the spirit so if there is no prayer life, it is a sign that you've, you, it's one of the signs that you've fallen into a lukewarm spirit, a state of lukewarmness, a state of indifference. Because prayer actually reveals to God and to yourself your utter dependency upon God. Prayer is not just getting things from God, although prayer does change everything. Prayer is also a sign of humility and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. It's telling God, I need you. Just like oxygen is necessary for my lungs, prayer is necessary for everything in my life. I can't live without prayer. Prayer is not only where I receive things from God. It's not only where I receive instruction from God. Prayer is where I receive the wind of God to come behind me and propel me into the great things that God has for me. Prayer is where I get spiritually nourished. Prayer is where I get spiritually energized. I need prayer more than I need air. I need prayer more than I need a heartbeat and, 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 and blood flowing through my veins. I need prayer more than everything. David said it this way, I give myself to prayer. Prayer is not just something I do. I, I give myself to prayer. Number two, signs of lukewarmness. You have zero desire to read the word. No Bible knowledge. No, no, no desire to dive into this. No explorative uh, spirit to actually go and explore the things God has given to us it, that's revealed to us in his word imagine this imagine if I was like this is like the year 1400s and I go on the mission field somewhere overseas and my wife keeps sending me letters and letters and notes over and over again and I keep getting them and I never open them I just put them on my desk and I just stare at them and sometimes I visit them maybe you know, put my, I'll kiss it or whatever. And, but I never actually, I hold them in high esteem because in them I know that uh, there's a revelation of my wife's love for me and everything that's been going on at home since I've been on the mission field. But I never do anything about it to actually open it and read them and study it and see what, my, what news my wife is bringing, what feelings she's been having, everything, her thoughts concerning me. Does that, would that paint you a picture of a man who actually truly loves his wife? Absolutely not. I'd open them. I'd, eat, I'd memorize them. In the same vein, this is God's love letter to us. This is God's note to us. This is actually God's final will and testament to us. And so to just discard it and let it just pile up dust week after week, or only open it on Sunday morning when the pastor says, turn your Bibles to, and you're not even opening it to the passage that he's reading, you're just in the maps at the back. That's a, that's a, that's a, a demonstration of, of uh, that there's no love in your heart for God, that there's been a lukewarm spirit that's, that, that has arrested you, that you have distanced yourself from God, that the fire has gone out. There's no, you know, the Bible says, it's not my word like a fire. When you stay away from the word, What's going to end up happening is the fire of the word is not going to get on you. And you know, you know how the Bible says a little fire kindles a great forest? Well, this is a huge fire and it has the ability to kindle you 
up with fire, with fresh fire daily. And when you stay clear from it, when you stay away from it, that's when a lukewarm spirit can settle in. And the longer you stay away from it, it's like crowds beget crowds. Well, in the same vein, uh, not reading the word <laughs> begets not... It begets not reading the word. When you read the word, it cultivates in you a hunger to read more of the word. When you don't read the word, then the hunger eventually just draw, it just goes away. The Bible says if you stray from the words of knowledge, you will stray. If you stray from the words of knowledge, you will stray from knowledge itself. So when you stray from the word of God, you're, you're straying from the very thing that's actually able to save you from apathy. Zero desire to read the word is a sign of lukewarmness. No ability to quote the scripture. Jesus quoted the scripture to the devil in the wilderness. He wasn't a lukewarm person. He, he had the fire of the word. Like Jeremiah said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. When you don't have the word in you, that fire goes out. Number three. This is important. Listen to this. Slowly working your way from the front of the church to the middle of the church pews, to the back of the church pew, until finally you hit, you hit the exit. There's a lot of people, when they got on fire for God, they were at the front row of every service, inclined, taking notes. Then somewhere down the line, I don't know what happened, but the, a wet blanket was put on them, and then now they're in the middle, just blended in with everyone. And then they moved to the back, they're in like the final seat somewhere near the exit, and then eventually and inevitably... Unless something happens, they end up hitting the exit. They don't come back to church. No desire to be in the house of God. There's a lot of people that are physically in church, but mentally are checked out. They've never, been, they've never been to church one day in their life because their spirit never engaged. Their bodies have been there. Their bodies have, you know, you can take your body anywhere. But how many of you know? You can be in a restaurant, but your mind is somewhere else. Your worries and concerns. You're thinking of something else. Jesus said there's a soil that when the seed comes on it, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. There's a lot of people that are physically present in church, but they've never been mentally and spiritually present in any service. Their minds are elsewhere. Some people are checking their NFL fantasy football team line up to see if it's in check on Sunday morning. Some people are just looking forward to what they're going to eat after service. Some people are just looking forward. They're planning their week. They take it as a time of like, well, I'm in church. I don't want to be here. But since I have time, they're planning their week. No desire. David wasn't like, like, like that. David said that I will plant my feet in the house of God and I will flourish in the courts of God. David said in Psalm 27, one thing I have desired of the Lord, this one thing I will do. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, inquiring daily in his temple. David said in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David had a heart after God's own heart and it was expressed and demonstrated in his desire to be in the temple day and night, night and day. He said seven times a day I'm going to pray. Or three times a day, evening, morning and noon, I will pray and seven times a day I will praise my God, the God of my salvation. And he did that in the temple. He was hooked. And he wasn't just an audience member. He wasn't just a consumer. There's too many people. If you just stay a consumer in the church, you're going to eventually, even if you're not lukewarm now, you'll eventually hit a state of lukewarmness. 
There's too many consumers. They just eat, eat, eat. But if you want to stay in the fire, you got to be actively engaged and involved in what your church is doing. Don't just seek to be entertained and informed. Plug in to the vision of your church. Plug in. You got to plug in. Bernhard Bonnke used to say, people are asking God for the fire. For what? People ask God for the fire all the time. For what? So you can be warm and heated on the pew as you do nothing week after week? The fire of God comes not for a service only. The fire of God comes for Christian service. There is a point. There is a purpose. There is an assignment that comes when the fire comes. Number three, church attendance diminishes and eventually goes. Number four, signs of lukewarmness. Inability to lead others to the Lord. Or lack of drive to see souls saved. Uh, one, one massive uh, sign that you're, you're lukewarm is that there's no drive in your heart to see people saved. There's no drive in your heart. There's no zeal in your heart to tell people about Jesus. No desire whatsoever to share Jesus to others. There's no, there's no passion to see souls transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said it, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it is the power of God. Not only was he not like ashamed, you look at his life, he did everything he could to, well that was Paul. He did everything he could to get the gospel into the hearts of the Gentiles. He didn't have to do all that. He did that because there was a fire that compelled him. He said, the love of God compels me. And he says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. One sure way to know that the fire is gone is that there's no woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. There's no compelling force in you to actually speak the gospel. That's a sure sign that the fire is gone. Because when the fire is there, there is a duty, a sense of responsibility. I can't keep this to myself. I go and get haircuts all the time. Every barber that I've ever had, pretty much, has heard the gospel. Because it's time I have one-on-one -on -one with them for the next 30 minutes. What are we going to talk about? I don't care about the news. I don't care about the weather. I don't care about the sports team. What do I do? I spend my time. The fire... Like Jeremiah, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't just carry the gospel fire in me and not want to spread it. You know the interesting characteristic about fire is that it never stays in one place. It's constantly moving. It's constantly traveling. It's constantly spreading. It can't just stay unless it's in a fireplace. I'm not going to be a fireplace. Place. I don't want to be a fireman Christian. I want to be a Holy Ghost arsonist that's spreading this fire by the gospel. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, for necessity has been laid upon me. When that necessity leaves, you, you know that the fire is dwindling. It's leaving. Inability to lead others to the Lord or a lack of drive to do so. Number five, sign of lukewarmness. The ability, listen to this. This one's going to tick a lot of people off. The ability to binge Netflix for hours and unable to sit still in one sermon. There's so many people that can watch whole series full series in one sitting they don't even blink their eyes they can go through the lord of the rings season uh, uh movie one two and three and then the hobbits and literally spend 18 hours watching movies but the moment 
They tune in a sermon. They can't even pay attention for more than five minutes. They can quote you every line in Friends, but then can't quote you one scripture from the Bible. That's a sign that the fire has gone out. The Bible says, the Bible says very clearly that Paul would have long sermons and people would spend a long time listening to him. There was so long, one time Eutychus, a young boy, ended up falling out and dying. And then they raised him back up from the dead. Paul wasn't a 10 minute sermon type of guy. He wasn't a 15 minute guy. He, he took his time. And people that wanted the fire in Paul, they had no, they had no problem staying, listening to Paul a long while, even till daybreak. The Bible says he preached till midnight and then when the guy died and raised, they raised him back up from the dead, he preached till daybreak and they had no problem tuning in because they had the fire. When you start to feel like you'd rather be anywhere else but listening to a sermon right now or if there's no, you know, you should make time every day to listen to sermons. You should make time. There should be a time where you're consuming the word on a daily basis. Should be time every single day where you're, you're receiving. Man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. People make time every day to watch their favorite show. There should be time set apart every day to receive the word from anointed preaching. Not just reading the word. The reading of the word is good. We talked about it in point two. But actually receiving from anointed ministries. Number six, attraction to secular music and irritation irritated by worship attraction to secular music and irritated or irritability with worship music i know a lot of people that were like this then they caught the fire and now they don't want to listen to secular music all they want is worship music when there is an attraction to sec you, you just love listening to secular music people that aren't holy people that aren't clean People that are, are, are just spewing out anti-biblical lyrics. And you love that. And there's an attraction to it because of the tune or whatnot. You give out whatever excuse. You can that's a sign that you've entered into lukewarmness. Because when you're in the fire, those things don't even have an appeal to you. Those things, the Bible says, do not love the world, nor the things of this world. Uh, nor the, do not love the world nor the things of this world for all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life secular music it deals and revolves around those three things they sing about the lust of the eyes they sing you don't see secular music artists talking about holy ghost stuff and, and spiritual things it's always about lust of the eyes things they want that they can't have lust of the flesh things they feel and then the boastful pride of life. Talk about money, wealth, riches, and all that. It actually, secular music will stir up in you further ungodliness. It'll stir up the flesh in you. The Bible says we are not to walk in the flesh, but in the spirit. So if secular people ask all the time, is secular music a sin to listen to? Why would you want to listen to something that's going to amplify the desires of your flesh? Instead, listen to things, listen to music that's been... Uh, generated by encounters with God that's going to stir up appetites of the spirit that's going to drive you closer to God why would you why would you want to stir up lust anger envy hatred 
unforgiveness, covetousness, desire for this world and other things. Why would you want it? Because that's what music does. Whether you're conscious of it or not, it's happening as you listen. Jesus said your eye is the gate to your soul. I could say also your ear too. Because that's the two ways that information is received. The things you see and the things that you hear. And if your eye is single, if your ear is single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is distracted, and in this case by music that doesn't glorify God, your whole body is going to be filled, is going to be filled with, with darkness. And then you wonder why you don't want to go back, you don't want to go to church anymore. Then you wonder why you're not reading your Bible anymore. Then you wonder. But then, because of that music, you have no problem. You have no problem uh, feeding on the appetites of the flesh. You have no problem. The Bible says in the last days, people's gods will be their appetites who will set their minds on earthly things. Secular music gets you to focus in and set your attention on earthly things. That's right. Someone wrote, there are seeds being planted. Whether you believe it or not, every word is a seed. Every word is a seed. The word of God is a seed. The word of the devil is a seed. And the word... Of, uh, of, of what you hear in music is a seed. And whether you know it or not, when you listen to that music, you're sowing the seed and you're watering the seed. And be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he will, he will reap. Number f- six, secular attraction to secular music. And irritation. Irritability with worship music. That's a huge thing. There's people that come into church 40 minutes late so that they miss the worship because they're irritated by it. There's something in it. That's a sign that you've entered into a state of lukewarmness. Number seven and finally is withdrawal from fellowship with Christian people who are on fire for God. When you start to group in and couple up with people that carry the same lack of desire that you have you find people instead of finding people that can help you go higher you end up finding people that are on the same le- the same level as you are because you can like sympathize and empathize with them you can, you guys have a, a a common point now to discuss that's the worst idea don't ever you know as iron sharpens iron so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend you can't be sharpened by a dull blade You need to find people that are sharp, people that are on fire, people that carry themselves with the lion nature of God. If you're going to walk as a lion, if you're going to catch the fire, you know, when you want to light up a candle, you light the flame on the the matchstick and then you bring it close to it. That proximity is what allows the candle to catch the flame. Your proximity with people that are on fire with God is going to allow you, it's going to facilitate the process whereby you become on fire for God yourself instead of the opposite. You hang around lukewarm. Lukewarm water cannot make cold water hot. The cold water is just going to be lukewarm. In the same vein... Lukewarm people can't make cold people hot. If you, wanna, if you want to break free from lukewarmness, you have to find, locate people that carry heat with heaven. And then I'm going to say number eight is a bonus. When you're giving or your joy of giving ends up leaving. The Bible says... God loveth a cheerful giver. When you stop giving, or if the joy of giving and sowing, man, you start thinking, I could have spent that money here. When that comes in, you can know you're in danger. 
of, of the fire either going completely or it's, it's, it's dwindling out. When you lose that joy, that cheerfulness, that gratitude in when you sow into the kingdom, giving your best seeds into the work of God, when that goes, it's a sign that the fire has gone out. When you have a, 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 you're more inclined to sow $1,500 into a flat screen TV and never even give thought into the gospel and never even sow into the gospel, you can know there's something wrong there. Because Paul told the Corinthians, I'm testing the sincerity of your love through your giving. So you can't say you have an extreme hot on fire love for God if you're giving doesn't show it. Your giving actually is a litmus test to prove the sincerity of your love for God. When the giving goes, and that's oftentimes the first thing that goes. Stop tithing, stop giving offerings. And as a result, you end up not staying in church much longer. Those are seven ways plus one bonus way that you can tell you carry a lukewarm spirit. But I didn't do this broadcast to show you you have a lukewarm spirit and, you know, that's it. Nothing you can do about it. I want to move into how you can get the fire of God. There's only one way to get it. There's no loopholes. There's no shortcuts to it. There's no uh, holes you have to jump through. There's no uh, seven-step program that you have to go through in order to, to catch the fire. You just have to have a right relationship with God in that your sins have been forgiven. I want to remind you of something. In Leviticus, when the priests were set aside for the work of the ministry, they had the blood of the ram or whatever animal they had slaughtered, and they would take the blood and put it on their right ear, on their right thumb, and on their right toe. That, se- se- that signified their separation for the work of ministry. We are priests in this New Testament. Revelation 5.10 says, We are priests and kings unto our God and Savior. We've been set aside, separate, made holy and sanctified by the blood of Jesus. But... The priest didn't just have the blood. Afterward, they took the oil. And the oil was placed on their right ear. The oil was placed on their right thumb. And the oil was placed on their right uh, toe. And that signified empowerment. That signified their empowerment by the Spirit to do and fulfill the tasks that they've been assigned with. We didn't just get washed by the blood to just stay clean in this world and and, and do nothing about it. The Holy Spirit came. See, they were washed by the blood the moment they believed on the blood of Jesus Christ. When they saw Jesus raised from the dead, they got saved at that very moment. They received the Holy Spirit. They were saved. But in Acts chapter 2 is when the zeal and the fire and the Holy Ghost empowerment came on them to do the work that had been assigned to them. So the only requirement to receiving that fire and that zeal, the oil of the Spirit today, is you've been saved. If you've been washed by the blood, and now you, you have, first and foremost, a reliance upon the Holy Spirit, you understand that you can't accomplish it in the, in the flesh, that you need God's help, you need to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So I'll say there's two requirements. Number one, you get saved. But number two, you have to recognize your utter dependence upon God in humility say Lord I thirst for thee my soul panteth after thee as a deer panteth for the water creek two requirements one you're saved two 
I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need an encounter with the fire of God. I refuse to go in my own strength. I refuse to have a normal Christian life. I I want to be abnormal, and the fire is what, what empowers me to be abnormal. So you don't earn the fire. It's not like an athlete that works his way up to getting a gold medal. You receive the fire by, carry, by, by standing in the position of, Lord, I'm saved now. And two, I know <laughs> I'm not going to accomplish anything in my own strength, in my own, in my own power. I need your power. That's the position you need to have. When that happens, they were all together in one accord. What was that one accord? They all agreed on the same thing. They agreed that Christ was the only way to be saved. And then two, they agreed that they had an utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost. That word power is actually dunamos, which means fire power. They understood there was a promise that we're going to receive fire power to be effective witnesses In Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Fire power. So they were all together in one accord. They carried the position. We're saved by the blood. And now we're waiting for the promise of the fire power that would come from heaven. Here's the good news for you. There's a lot of people that talk about tarry meetings. We have to tarry for the fire. Tarry for the fire. They tarried because that the Holy Ghost hadn't come. In Acts chapter 1, and he hadn't come in Mark chapter 16 or in Luke chapter 24. Jesus said, tarry ye until you're endued with power from on high. That power came, that fire power descended on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost and fire never went back to heaven. He's still on the earth today. He's still here. Baptizing people in that same fire. And it's not a second rate Holy Spirit that gives us a second rate experience. It's the same Spirit. And so we should expect to have the same experience. Look at what, you know, people just, they focus on the tongues part. And I'm all for tongues. I speak in tongues. I did a video recently on tongues. But the fire of God is more than just speaking in tongues. That's like just the inauguration. That's just the the entrance. That's the, 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 the entry fee. That's the gateway to the supernatural. But the fire of God is going to produce three things in you. These are the three things. What does the fire of God do? Number one, the fire of God purifies. It purges you of sin. The Bible says that Jesus, when he had by himself purged us of our sins, has sat down at the right hand of the Father. The fire of God, John said, is like a winnowing fan. It cleanses out the threshing floor and it gathers the wheat into the barn, but the chaff, you see the flesh is the chaff. The sinful desires is the chaff. The chaff is useless. The fire burns the chaff with unquenchable fire. It removes it. It extracts it. Extracts it. It, it, it causes you so that you're no longer ruled by sinful passions and desires, but now not only does the fire purge the sin it then brands you with new desires new passions and new agendas fire of god destroys the very thing that destroys people which is sin joshua 7 the bible says be sure your sins will find you out you can't sow the sin of the seed of sin and not reap the harvest of sin which is corruption which is sickness which is disease, which is poverty, separation from God, depression, anxiety, sorrow, stress, and every other wicked thing. The fire of God purges the sin, and in purging the sin, it purges. It it, it removes the consequences, the penalties of what sin brings on a man. 
The Bible says that God has redeemed us from every lawless deed and has purified us for himself. How does he go? What's the purification process? It's going through that fire. It's the fire of God. Uh, when, you, when, you're, when you're baptized, immersed in that fire, there, you go through a process of purification. I was uh, just listening to a preacher recently. He talked about the refiner's fire. That when a refiner would take gold, remember the Bible says the furnace is for gold and the refiner's pot is for silver, but the Lord does the same work on our heart. What does he do? Well, what does a refiner do? He takes gold or he'll take a precious stone. Let's say gold. He'll put it into the fire, extreme heat, extremely high heat. And as the heat begins to heat up the gold, the gold begins to reveal the impurities within itself. And there starts that you start to see all the, 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 the impurities of it. You start to see like the black stuff on it. And one by one, the refiner will extract those impurities. He'll take them apart. He'll remove them. Takes out lust. Takes out covet covetousness he takes out anger he takes out outbursts of wrath he takes out immorality he takes off he takes out um uh he, he takes out all the the desires of the flesh he he removes all of the the stuff that is perverting the purity of the gold as the fire intensifies do you know when the refiner actually quits touching the quits working on the gold when the refiner says it's done, I've purified it, the moment he sees his face, his reflection in the fire, he knows that the gold is pure and pure enough to be sold. When the fire of God comes on you, God puts you through a process where all these sinful desires and lusts are removed, removed, extracted, burnt off. Until God sees his very image in you. So he purifies us so that we are conformed to the image of his son. So our thoughts begin to mimic his thoughts. Our actions and our words begin to mimic his actions and his words. And we bear his image, his likeness, and his nature. 2 Timothy 2 says, we are to purify ourselves. Well, how do you do that? You expose yourself to the fire. What does a fire do? Number one, it purifies. You can either make excuses for your sin or you can expose yourself to the fire today and get rid of the sin before the sin gets rid of you. Number two, protects against apathy and indifference. Talked about this at length. Romans 12 says, we are to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That fervency should never die out. The fire of God ensures that you never become a lukewarm, pathetic Christian. That carries a weak spirit. That pays no attention to eternal things. Whose mind is constantly set on earthly things. The Bible says we are to lay aside every weight that so easily entangles us. So it's not just the sin that the fire purifies you of. It's actually the weights then. What is the weights? It's the desire for other things. It's keeping your eyes on useless temporal things. It's having an eye for worldly things. The fire, you know that old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. The fire makes it so that the things of this world grow strangely dim 
What does that mean? You don't care for them anymore. The things you used to work to obtain, the things that you used to, you wanted that boat, you wanted that yacht, those things no longer drive or fuel your life and your living. The zeal that, I mean, look at Paul. Paul says, Paul says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, let me read this. Talk about zeal. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. By the way, if you're, if you're uh, replying to Dove's Eye or whatever his name is, just quit. You don't have to defend. Some people, anyways, I'll, I'll be kind. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen to this. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more than all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So Paul says, I had a zeal to labor more than Peter, labor more than John, labor more than all the apostles that were hand-selected by Jesus Christ. I labored more than all. I had a zeal that carried me through the nations, that gave me an endurance to never give up, to keep on moving, to fight the fight of faith, to keep the faith, to lay hold, take full heed unto the ministry that I received from the Lord. And he says, the reason I had that was by the grace of God. And that grace is in the fire of God coming on you. Empowers you to be zealous. To carry a spiritual fervor. Number three, what does the fire of God do? It empowers you. I'll tell you, it's easy to spot someone who doesn't have fire and then uh, when they're preaching and then someone who does carry fire. When someone doesn't have fire and they're preaching, it, there's no weight to the words. There's no weightiness. There's no, there's no power that comes behind their word. It's empty words coming from empty heads and empty hearts. But when someone's been in the fire, even simple state, statements. See, there's a lot of people that try to disguise their lack of fire in beautiful, eloquent speech. There's no substitute for the fire of God. It doesn't matter how great of an auditorium you have and the great flashing lights you have and the amazing musicians you have and all the beautiful excellence that you have in a church building. All those things are great, but they are no substitute for the fire of God. The more... The less of the fire of God, Reinhard Bonnke said, the less of the fire of God that you have, the more cake and coffee you're going to have to bring out on Sunday morning to keep the crowds coming. All those things are nice, but they're not substitutes for the authentic fire and move of the Holy Spirit. They do not substitute it. They don't, they don't replace them. And people disguise their lack of power by great eloquent speech. Paul said, I'm not, I didn't come in eloquent speech. I came with the fire of God and the demonstration of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. So you have people that come out with these, like some people, they come out with like Christian lingo statements and all that that are so confusing. You need a theologian to actually make it out. There's no weight on it. Nobody, get, nobody gets impacted by it. They just sound nice. They have a cute tune to it. But then you have other people that make simple statements. Like Reinhard Bonnke, when he would say, Africa shall be saved. That statement that he made came out of an encounter with the fire. He had three dreams in a row. 
where he saw blood-washed Africa. Fire came in him. And so he could declare, Africa will be saved. And there was a weight on it. They weren't empty words. Far be it that I should ever be a preacher who is in word only. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And Jesus said, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come on you. The fire of God empowers you to be a witness. So that when you speak to your relatives, you speak to your loved ones. They're not empty words. They're not unsubstantial words. There's substance to it. There's resurrection life released. He sent his word and it healed them. There's healing power tied to it. Jeremiah said his word was found and I ate it and it became for me the joy and gladness of my heart. He said his word is like a fire shut up in my bones. Matthew 5.14 says that we are the light of this world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That empowerment, you know what it... How do you get light? Back in the day, especially when Jesus was saying this, the only way to get light wasn't through electricity and nice light bulbs. It was through lampstands, fire. So Jesus wasn't saying, you're a light bulb. He was saying, you are the light. You are the fire torch in this world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, lit up by many flames. And he moves on to say, no man takes a, a, a fiery torch and puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so he can give light to all that are in the house. The fire of God empowers you to light people up with that same fire. Or else you're just going, you're just going, you know, some people, I, I remember someone said this. He said, some, some people were sent by God, others bought a microphone and went. Some are sent, others bought a microphone and went. When you just go out, and, and, and expect <laughs> expect Bible results, expect Book of Acts results without securing the empowerment that the apostles had in the Book of Acts, you're going to be gravely disappointed. If you just go out and expect Book of Acts results without going through the fire baptism, that the apostles in the book of Acts went through. You are going to be disappointed. You'll be gravely disappointed. Jesus moves on to say, So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may glorify your, they may see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven. So you know what that tells you? The light produces good works. The light produces good works. John 5.35, they said of John, he was that burning lamp and you were willing for a while to rejoice in his light. We're ministers of God, ambassadors for Christ on the earth and the Bible says we are ministers of fire and that fire is to produce supernatural works to show our generation that our God's not to be bunched up with the rest. He is the living and true one. Whose eyes are like a flame of fire. And I believe in the name of Jesus from this broadcast. Just like Samson took the fox's tails and tied them together. And then released them into the Philistines camp. To burn up their crops. Which represented the deeds of the wicked. Which represented the, 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 the works of wicked people. 
which represented the works of darkness and the works of the devil himself. I believe many of you are going to be like those foxes today. God is lighting your tail on fire with a fresh fire. You are going out into the highways and in the byways from today to wreak havoc on the camp of darkness, to burn up the works of darkness, to cast down devils, to... to cure sicknesses, heal diseases, and work a work from God while it is yet day, for night cometh when no man can work. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to pray right now. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. For everyone that's watching right now, I pray a fresh baptism in the fire of God would come on them. Even as I speak, I release the mighty baptism of the fire of the Holy Ghost. A fire that would burn out insecurities. A fire that would burn out every fear of man that brings a snare in Jesus' name. That's another thing the fire of God's going to do for you right now. Some of you are scared to speak the gospel. What will they say? What will they do? What if they don't receive it? The fire of God puts a spirit of I don't care in you. Where you don't care what other, how they react. You just understand you have the mission to tell the people that Jesus lives. That's what the fire of God's going to do for you today. There's going to be an, a carelessness for the opinions of people. As you have a carefulness in carrying the gospel message wherever God would place you in the name of Jesus Christ. The insecurities, the fear, the timidity and shyness that has prevented you from walking in light of the gospel in a manner fully pleasing God. Those things are being burnt out by fire right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, be filled the Holy Ghost and fire. Be immersed totally from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Every sign of tiredness, every sign of fatigue, every sign of weariness, everything in you that has caused your hands to hang limp and your knees to grow feeble, receives a fresh touch of firepower. You shall run and not grow weary. You shall walk and not faint. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, receive it now. In Jesus' name. Let me finish just quickly by telling you, I already did a video on this, so I'm not going to focus on this much. But if you want to, I go more into detail with my friend Pastor Oscar Sosa uh, on a, a video I released about two weeks ago. It's the fire of God, how to keep the fire burning. But... Pretty much three ways to keep the fire burning. Number one, the word is not my word like a fire. You get around the word, the word's fire is going to get in you. Number two, you need fellowship with the source. You need, you need prayer. Prayer fans the gift inside you into flame. There's three important components to keep a fire burning. Oxygen, you need a spark, and you need fuel, whether it be wood, oil, whatever. The oxygen is prayer. The fuel is the word. The spark is the Holy Ghost. So, three ways to keep the fire going. Number one, get into the word. Number two, you need to get into prayer and devote yourself and give yourself to prayer. And then number three, fellowship with the Holy Spirit because He's the spark. He's the one that lights the match and throws it. And also, I'll say fellowship with those that are on fire with, for God. 
it'll have a similar effect because you're catching from the Holy Ghost in them. Those are three ways to maintain the fire. But like I said, I did a video on it like last week that I released. I would encourage you to go and watch that. For everyone that's watching right now, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't have absolute certainty that your life is right with God, that you have right relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you put your head to, that if you put your head to the pillow tonight and never woke up, you don't have absolute certainty that you'd, you'd be in heaven. You need to make right with God. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the day to be saved. Don't push off till tomorrow. When tomorrow's not promised to anybody. Jesus can come back today. And life is but a vapor. It's like a mist. It's here today and vanishes quickly. Don't wait for a more convenient time. There's not been a more convenient time than right here and right now. Jesus is passing by your life right now. And he has his nail-scarred hand reached and stretched out towards you. It's up to you. No man ever stays the same after hearing the gospel. You'll either reject Jesus or you'll accept Jesus. And both have results. Your, your rejection of Jesus is going to push you into a downward spiral more than ever before. Your acceptance of Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross is going to put you on a trajectory that is upward and forward. The path of the just shines brighter and brighter every day unto that perfect day. Give your life to Christ today. Don't push this off till another moment. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and knocking. Open up the door. And he said, I'll dine with you and you with him. He said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. For your rest is not in this world. Your rest is not in drugs or alcohol. Your rest is in Christ Jesus. He said, my peace give I unto thee, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If your heart is troubled, if you're afraid, especially in the last year and a half, there's been crazy things that have happened on this earth. I want to tell you, there is a boat that you can get in that doesn't rock. No matter how crazy the waves of this world might be, the boat doesn't rock. It's a firm foundation. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven can never be shaken. And those that belong to it and are connected to it carry that same unshakableness that the kingdom has. David said it this way, I've kept the Lord ever at my right hand and because of him I will never be shaken. Are you shaken by everything? Have you built your house on sinking sand? I encourage you today, pray this with me. Begin to build a life with God. Accept Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I give my life to you. I turn from sin. I repent of sin. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me by your blood. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. I will live for you. Empower me. By your spirit, old things pass away. Everything becomes new. God is my father. Jesus is my Lord. And I'm never turning back. I am saved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me. Go to my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill out the form. There's a video at the bottom of the page that's four basic things every Christian must know. I, I did that video specifically for you. It'd be like 35 minutes if I had me and you time right now. If we could go and catch a cop, uh, go and get a cup of coffee right now, immediately after what you just heard and you accepted Christ, these are the four things I'd tell you um, personally. So I'd encourage you to go and do that and it's going to bless you. Stay connected.
connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.